Bud, for bringing some familiar themes to our own heart. Rather have Jesus, silver or gold, or as I had mistakenly said earlier, I'd rather have silver. It's not the theme we're looking for, but Jesus is our theme. Christ is our life, our all. We're going to talk about a little bit more of what that means when Christ is our all. You'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. The whole book, Paul is writing to these believers he, he has not met, saying that Christ is all you need. Christ is your power. He is your life. And he's praying for them that they will have the resurrected power in their life working in them. What that looks like is more patience and forbearing and it's not necessarily walking on water but it is to continue to hold on to christ when the storms are coming and he shows a little bit more of in chapter two things that are presented that also present themselves as false sources of power things even like discipline uh, religious things experiences apart from christ they actually take away from you and take you down wrong paths and chapter three He's presenting what it is to have Christ at work. And he says we need to be seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Lord. Set your minds on things above, not on things below on the earth. It says, for you have died with Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Christ, who is your life. When he appears, you shall appear with him in glory. That truth, that knowledge, what does that mean? And he goes on, verses 5 through 11, talking about what we put off, what we kill. If Christ is our life, there's some things we have to die to, execute continually in our life and then in chapter 12 verses 17 that which we put on what does it look like to have christ in our life when when we are filled with the spirit of god what does that look like in 12 through 17 he he gives us some some qualities that are going to come out and first of all we're going to start seeing ourselves and seeing others in the church as god sees them not how we see them but as god sees them and in verse 12 he says Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is how God sees you. Put on then, and talks about compassionate hearts and, and kindness and, and patience. And, uh, and talk about how we bear with one another. And so we're going to put on Christ. We're going to show Christ in how we deal with especially the church. How we deal with God's people. And this really is not just to the world. But to other believers that are sitting in this room, other believers who are not sitting in this room but yet part of our church, and, and that we're to bear with one another and forgiving one another, as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And, and so that's showing Christ. And, then, and let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you've been called as one body. And so as, as believers, we're not going to just uh, let Christ be coming out of us, but we're going to submit to the peace of Christ, thankfully. And that is the peace of Christ working among the body. What brings to unity in Christ? 
that dictates what we do and do not do. What attitude we exhibit and what attitudes we, we slay and kill. And then we're going to soak up God's word. Thankfully, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, reaching, teaching you and admonishing you with all wisdom. And singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That is, it is the, the song of our heart is the word of God. And this is what it looks like when Christ is in our life. And, and then we ended up last time of seeing all of life as a spiritual act. And we do that thankfully. And so when he brings that out, and that's verse 17, it takes us to verse 18 through the end of the chapter. And he says, you know, let me elaborate on that. That's a lot. See everything. The text says in verse 17 uh, that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a lot. Word and deed, everything. And so Paul says, I tell you, let me just elaborate on that a little bit. Let me just talk about a few areas that's included in everything you do. He starts talking about the wife and husband relationship. And he starts talking about children and parents. Then he starts talking about employment. And if you think about it, that covers a lot of your day, isn't it? Your your family life and your employment life. Uh, That's a lot. Uh, And so he says, let me help you out and, and just give us a little bit more specifics. So it really does present to us, what does Christ look like if he is in you. Remember Colossians 2 7 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if Christ is in you and you're a father, what does that look like? If Christ is in you and your husband, if Christ is in you and you're a wife, if Christ is in you and you're a child, if Christ is in you and you're a boss, if Christ is in you and you're an employee, what does that look like? And so this is giving us a, a kind of a, a revealing aspect of, of where do we stand. It's kind of like those old pregnancy tests, you know, it lets you know what's going on the inside, makes evident, all right? And so this is one of those pregnancy test what's going on inside of you is there a plus or minus in these areas all right you you follow that (laughs) some of you follow a bit more than others all right we're thankful to have a new new addition in our church body with uh uh, the the hooks family and we we look forward more to come right okay where are you okay okay uh meredith uh she's not here uh i had to check on that children's sick she's not in the hospital yet uh and so uh we want to see this bearing fruit in our life so uh with that in mind, let's stand as we read together Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 17. But we're going to focus on 18 uh, through verse 21. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You may be seated. Verse 17 lays out, The idea that everything is a spiritual act. I, uh, though we talked about this last week, I I know we've got a lot to have to correct in our own thinking. 
Because most of our life, if you're like me, even though I grew up in church, we have categories in our mind. We have a barrier between that which is sacred and that which is secular. That which is religious and that which is common. Our whole world puts that upon us. Uh, If we weren't thinking that before, then everyone tells us, okay, here's the category. This is your, your private religious life, and this is the public professional life. This is the Christian music, and this is the secular music. And so the marketing campaigns come on and, and help us with this. This is a, a religious book, a inspirational spiritual book, and this is a how-to book. This is a novel, or uh, you know whatever word we want to say that is uh, secular uh, book. And, and so in our mind, we have categories. We'll say, okay, I'm going to do something like I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to journal. I'm going to have my prayer time. This is a spiritual activity that I do and I rank it uh, according to whatever importance we have. And then, well, I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to uh, make sure the car is up, uh, is maintained. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to send these emails out. I'm going to do a report. And this is professional. This is material. When Colossians 3 comes, verse 17, and says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then earlier, when we looked in Colossians, when it says that Christ is all, what that truth does is abolish and utterly destroy any barriers in our mind according to God. The problem is we still have these barriers in our mind. They must be destroyed. We cannot, as followers of Jesus Christ, have in our mind categories of professional here, material, earthly here, secular here, and sacred things over here. My job as a pastor is not more sacred than one of your jobs might be, even if you work for the state. All right? Even if you work for NC State. <laughs> throw that in there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So I go back to Christ. All right? Safe grounds. All right? Doesn't matter what it is. There's not something more sacred and less sacred. There's not something more religious and something more, well, earthly. That has to be annihilated in our thinking if in your mind you will say okay if i do the bible study and do the prayer i'll go to church i'll do my Sunday school lesson i'll do them giving there that's my spiritual thing and then over here i'm going to wash the dishes i'm going to fill up the car with gas it will allow in your mind areas that christ is not allowed in your thinking the thing is christ is there He is involved in all this, whether you're aware of it or not. But when you're aware of it, it opens up the door where worship can be in everything. Christ can be in everything. And life is much more fun. Did you know that there is Christ, his presence there, and an ability to cling to him even as you eat, especially as you eat? 
As you go through your day, whether it's cleaning the house or managing people, Christ is there. And so we cannot value some things more than others. And so we cannot have these categories. The category, scripturally speaking, is this. If we want to have categories, in Christ, in the flesh, in the spirit, in my own way. There is not a secular and a sacred. There's Christ and there's flesh. So, how does that work with your books? How does that work with our music? How does that work with our TV viewing, internet viewing, emailing, cleaning house? Is it in Christ or is it in the flesh? I'm going to tell you that is a much more thorough evaluation for us. And that's why I, one of the things we brought out about music, it's not whether it's, it's labeled Christian music, and I think that is just an unhealthy adjective. It is either music that draws us to Christ or draws us away from Christ, either uh, properly thanking God for the things that God put into our lives, or it's making those creation, creative things that God put in our life and make them the object of worship. And we've got to be very careful. It doesn't matter if it's music from the 50s, or if it's music from 2014 or earlier. It's something we got to think about. Everything is under the umbrella of Christ or in the flesh. Okay? So, verse 17 puts it out there. That's, that's one important thing you've got to get. Now, here's the other thing that I think is really dangerous that's going to be pertaining to this text. And this is the lie that we tell ourselves... I deserve to be happy. It is a lie. And the quicker you can recognize it as a lie, the more you can grow and understand the beauty of Christ. As I read verse 17, you notice what it says? Who is the object here? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, not in the name of yourself. And so the, the criteria is no longer what makes me happy. The criteria now is what gives glory to Jesus. These are two critical truths that if you can absorb them, everything is a spiritual act. And it is a lie to think that I deserve to be happy. If you can see that for what it is. God can do wondrous things in your life. Just for, I could preach on verse 17 several times. I've already preached on it two or three times already last few months. And I, I you know, consequently I have our time going on with the other. But that being said, verse 18. What does it look like when you are a wife and everything as pertaining to you as a wife is a spiritual act? What does it look like for Christ to be in a wife? Now, I'm not qualified to talk about verse 18 if we're looking at personal experience. I have none as a wife. Uh, but I can simply explain to you what Scripture says, and that's all the authority I ever had anyway. So, verse 18, wives... Submit to your husbands, as is, is fitting in the Lord. So, when it says, submit to your husbands, it is a call 
to recognize and respond to the God-ordained authority of a husband and does not diminish the authority or dignity of you as a female. How do I say that? Well, I present to you the example of Jesus Christ that as he lived his life, he recognized and submitted to the authority of God the Father. Though he was equal with God the Father and considered himself not robbery to be equal with God, but understood the role in which he was working in within the Trinity and submitted to the Father and his will. And so if it does not diminish Jesus, in fact, his submitting to the authority exalted Jesus. If that is true for Jesus Christ, it's not any less true for a woman that is in a marriage relationship. We see several examples to this. If you want to read more about this, 1 Corinthians 11, 3-4. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. I'll give examples of Jesus submitting to the Father. Philippians 2, 6. Submitting to the Father. I think about Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Even a more extreme example. Jesus uh, is God in the flesh. But Luke 2.51 says that Jesus, as a child, went down with them, referring to Joseph and Mary, and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus, God in flesh, submitted himself to a sinner named Joseph and Mary. Is that because Joseph and Mary was so much greater than Jesus? No. By no stretch of the imagination, he was submitting to the Father, his heavenly Father, and he expressed it by submitting it to earthly parents at that time. And so I want you just to understand that it is not a question of equality or worth. In fact, when it's all said and done, and we leave these earthly roles, remember, the marriage is a shadow. It is a shadow that points to God. So listen. You may be married one year to 68 years like we've had some. But it is a drop in the bucket of eternity. Do you understand that? And in eternity, there is no marriage. A husband given to a wife and a wife given to a husband because these were shadows that pertain to this earth and the reality is now there before Jesus. There will be a day and time when Julie, my wife, and myself, it is not an issue of me being her husband anymore. It will be that we are both in Christ before God and we worship Him and that is all of the equality or all the rank that's needed. There is not an, an issue of a little bit of time here on this earth. I think that's important for us to understand and remember this, the eternal perspective in this. This is to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, as is proper or appropriate. Understand that the motivation of this is not the man that you may be living with. It's not his character that is demanding this, compelling you. It never will be. It never should be. It's Christ that does it. It's as fitting in the Lord. Now, I think about this. We have, uh, we, I do Taekwondo with my girls, and we all have the same outfits. And uh, they're, they're unisex, you know. 
There's not a female version or a male version. They're all just baggy pants. And uh, it used to be very clear, but now it's getting a little bit confusing. When I get out, out of the dryer and I, I grab the white pants, uh, it used to be very easy to distinguish whose clothes were whose. It's a little bit less, and every once in a while I look it up like, well, maybe. And I can put my legs in, but somewhere about right here, I realize this is not fitting. This is not appropriate. I cannot go on like this. All right. So when we're talking about submission to a husband, you need to understand that this action, this attitude is tailor made for Jesus Christ. It is not made for your husband. So if you are putting these pants on and you're thinking, I'm doing this, I'm putting submission on because of this husband, it's going to be a sore fit. There's going to be chafing involved. It's going to be uncomfortable. It was not made to fit your spouse. It was made to fit Jesus Christ. Do you understand the difference between the two? If you're operating because of this person and the character of this person, it's going to be a sore fit. And it won't fit sometimes. And so why is saying it's fitting to the Lord, is appropriate to the Lord. He is the motivation. A lot of times married couples that are united in just kind of a rosy fog of optimism. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. And usually there's a lot more ignorance and the marriage date than sometime later. We're blinded to the shortcomings. We see only the other's good points. But as the years go by, the excitement wears off. Those good points become the sore points. Isn't that interesting? The very things that we were drawn to become the very things that repel us as time goes on. She married him because he was strong and masculine. And she divorced him because he was very dominating male. He married her because she was so fragile and petite. And he divorced her because she was so weak and helpless. She chose him because he knew how to provide a good living. And she left him because all he thought about was the business. He married her because she was steady and sensible. And then he divorced her because she was boring and dull. It's not about the strengths and weaknesses of the person. It's about Jesus Christ. That's it. Made drawn by the strength and weaknesses. But I'm going to tell you, the strengths and weaknesses are an illusion. Here's what dating is. Dating is putting on a facade of holiness just long enough to fool them. Those of you who are laughing understand. You're putting on a facade of holiness just long enough, and then you get married and you realize, whoa, wait, wait. You're not that. No. They maybe want to be that, but they're not that. But it's not the strengths and the weaknesses that keep you together. It is Christ that does it. It's about Him. Now, husbands, you hear this and you're thinking, uh-huh, I'm glad my wife's here. Now, look, understand something. When we read this, it is not telling the husband. This is not a call to the husband to make his wife submit. This is not a call to the husband to make his wife submit. Understand, this is a spiritual work. Remember what I said from the beginning? This is a, a, 
a thermometer. Is Christ in their life? Are they being filled with the Spirit? So, how does this get fixed? (laughs) You don't do it. It's not yours to fix. So let me ask you, if this is a spiritual activity, if this is the work of the Holy Spirit working in a wife, then who's going to do it? God? Sunday school answer? Okay. God's doing this. So let me ask this question. What role does prayer have in your life? For your wife? This type of attitude is the work of the Holy Spirit in that woman's life. So we as husbands are to pray for them. When we see discontentment, we see rebellion, we see just not listening, rolling of the eyes. The answer is not to say, stop rolling your eyes at me, woman. All right? That's not going to do it. The answer is, God, do a work in my heart. Help me to husband her. And God, do a work in her heart that Christ would be evident. And we keep on reading this. And, and for those of you who are not married, it matters who you marry. Yes, there's a facade of holiness and dating. You don't really know who they'll be. That's why it matters to who they belong. Are they in Christ? I have hope then that Christ can do a work in their life. Because they can put a facade out, but, but life goes on and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. Things are gonna, it's going to be revealed where things are stemming, stemming from. And I cannot think that I'm going to change them by my charm. It's going to be Christ at work in them. So, wives, when you're not submitting, you're not failing and falling short as a wife. We're falling short as a follower of Christ. So this means that my, the command to submit is totally outside the realm of what my nature is and my personality. It doesn't matter if you have a strong personality or weak personality. It is a, an act of faith in submitting to Christ. It has nothing to do with your husband's intelligence or giftedness or attractiveness or capability. It's fitting as unto the Lord. It's not whether to do if they're right. It has to do with Jesus being right. So take great care in how you choose your husband. Have your eyes wide open coming in. But open specifically to the relationship in Christ. It's not a secular. secular. It's simply Christ. That's the division point. 19. What does it look like for Christ to be in husbands? Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them love is not a feeling it is not an emotion it's something we fall into or fall out of we have those phrasings of i fell in love with this person and it usually just means my emotions just came overcame my thoughts it 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 dominated my thinking thing is when emotions drive you emotions are a fickle thing they come and go 
Love is not an emotional driven thing. There is emotion involved in it, but it doesn't drive. It is a sacrifice. It is a commitment. You are sacrificing to meet the needs of someone else before your own. And let me just say this. Joyfully. So husbands, are we doing that? Are we sacrificing to meet the needs of our wife and doing it joyfully? It is a commitment that we do. So there ought to be a question we ask ourselves. What have I given up for my wife lately? What has it cost me to be her husband? What sacrifices do I make for her well-being? Isn't that how Christ loved the church? Ephesians 5 is a great complimentary explanation, commentary on Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians chapter 3 is a great commentary on Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 talks about submitting as well, being filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3 says, and he's talking specifically about the wife to the husband. And then here it says, husbands love your wives. And Ephesians 5 explains that fully as Christ loved the church and what he did, how he purified the church by his own sacrifice. And so if we are not sacrificing, we're not loving. And that day and time, as, as Paul writes this, he we, we sometimes forget about the, the state of women in that day and time. That they were regarded, women regarded as things, as possessions. And so it was rights to a woman, rights to a wife that could get passed on as his house or material goods could be. And she really had very few legal rights. For instance, under the Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause. You burnt my bread. I need a new wife. You're getting old. I need a new wife. And, and these were things literally said uh, back then. So in Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion, not appearing out in the streets. This is happening today. Just because you live in America doesn't mean it's not happening. Most of the world is dealing with things like this. So when Christ comes in, one of the things that, that changes society is how we deal with women. And it says, do not be harsh with them. I think it's interesting, as, as Scripture says this, it says this is what Christ looks like in our life. I think it's, when you think about a counter, this is the opposite of this is what we're most prone to do in our flesh. If, if women are not in Christ, we're most prone to disrespect our husbands. We'll say, I love that man, but... How many conversations do you hear like that among women? I love them, but... And, and so that's our tendency. We're prone to do that. And Scripture says, no, no, it's to respect. And for men, it's to say, you know what? I really respect her. And we'll be talking about the admiring qualities of the women that we're married. But where's the sacrifice? Where's the love? And what are we prone to do? We're prone to be harsh with them. We need Christ at work in our life to change our natural tendency of being harsh with them, to treat them as a subject. We can be harsh with an object. I was working on a drawer last night, and it wasn't cooperating. So there's a point where I was just, you know, and we can be harsh. What's going on with that? People become harsh when their expectations are not being met. This drawer ought to fit. It's not. 
That's a big part. So when we do that toward our wives, when we have expectations that may be unrealistically high and they go unmet, then we start getting bitter, harsh, resenting. Unmet expectations turn into disappointments, which in turn turns into bitterness. Guys, our wives can't be God for us. They can't be God for us. They can't be your mom for you either. They can't be that person like, if I have her and she just would do this, then my life would be happy. That's a lie. Who says you're supposed to be happy anyway? That's the first lie. The second lie is that you think your wife's going to do it. That's not why she's there. And if we are having that in our mind, it's going to produce harshness, resentful. Only the Lord will satisfy you. She cannot. And if you think that you she should, she cannot live up to that expectation and we have idols in our heart. Whether it's, man, someday I get married, then life's going to be good. Or, man, if, if my wife would do this, then life would be good. That's not how it works. You were made for Christ. Settle into your God-ordained role and love her. Now, you remember something from verses 1 through 4? How do we do this? Set your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, where Christ reigns, where he rules. Set your your mind there, not on things below. So the problems with marriages is that we go down this downward cycle. She does something, he does something disrespectful, unthoughtful, and it it starts this chain reaction. I'm going to respond back in kind because I don't have it within me anymore because I don't like them anymore because they did this. And so then you do that, and that just creates within them a, a similar manner, a similar cycle. So how does this chain get broken? It's when someone says, you know what, I could respond to this person as they've treated me. They've treated me harshly, so I'm not going to respect them. Or they have shown disrespect for me. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to sacrifice them. We could do that. Or we could go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. It says, set your mind on things above. Let that vision of who Christ is dictate to me. Because I've died. You remember that verse, verse 3? I've died. And my life is now hidden with Christ and God. So what kind of life do I live? Verse 4. Well, when Christ appears, who is our life? So the solution to this is not, oh, I've got to love her more. The solution to this is I've got to respect him more. The solution is Christ is revealing areas in my life where I'm living in the flesh and not living in Christ. I must die to that. And let Christ work in me and be driven by the vision of who Christ is. See her, see him, see myself as God sees him, chosen, holy, and beloved. Now, men, Lord Byron has said that man's love is is of a man's life a thing apart. Tis a woman's whole existence. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but... tends to go that direction what does that mean guys we could say things to one another and we're laughing about it cutting one another that's how we show love sometimes isn't it, guys 
I knew my father-in-law loved me when he started making fun of me, you know? And then he let me know that, too, just in case it was confusing. If we do that with our wives, though, that doesn't work. And so it's to understand that, to cherish who she is because of who Christ is. We don't allow bitterness to sour our marriage. Guys, you can recognize it fairly quick when you're starting to hold a little resentment towards your wife. She's probably unaware, but you are. You can sense it rising in your heart. It is at that moment, it must be dealt with. It must be executed. And ask yourself, why am I resentful? Or why is this bothering me? And at the center will be a lie that she ought to exist for you. More often than not, it will produce episodes of sullenness and pouting, are yelling. But it's right there at the heart. Verse 20. Christ and children, Christ and parents. There's much to be said here. And I want us to listen to this. I want us to hear it. But it's going to go down much the same direction. Of what does it mean to have Christ in our life? To be ruled not by who the person that we live with, how they're acting or not acting. But what Christ is doing in our life. Evidently, the Lord wants me to work on this a little bit more this week. So we're going to consider this passage as we study this next week of God's working in children, God's working as parents. And then as we keep on reading verses 22 and 23, God's working in us as employers and employees. There's much to be said here I'm going to trust that Christ is going to work through this in your life. I, I want you to read this. In verse 17, when, he's, when it says, whatever you do in word and deed, this is, these are just big areas. Husband, father, wife, mother, employees. But you know there's other areas in your life. I just want to challenge you. Do not regard something separate from Christ. Because it's at your workplace, at your home, as you drive. It is all a spiritual act. And Christ must be evident in it. But I would say, before we can go on and talk about children and parents, it flows out of husband and wife. And I know some of you are in uh, single situations. And a lot of this applies to you still, is that you live your singlehood in Christ, being married to Christ. And that you look at it and say that it is the status of single or not single is not the measurement or the cause of happiness or sadness. It's Christ that is our hope of glory. 
And if it's the hope of glory, it's certainly the hope of earth and our heart and life. And so, with that thought in mind, let's pray about verses 21, verse 22, 23, 24, 25. And let's let the Lord work in our hearts as we read this together. Let's pray.